Today we are going to uh, finish our series on the Lord's Prayer, the Our Father, that's found in Luke chapter 11 and in Matthew chapter 6. And as you know, as we've been going through this study, we've done six lessons up to this. This will be the seventh. Uh, our theme statement, the big idea behind this sermon series is this, that living like Jesus requires praying like Jesus. The disciples of Jesus, they saw Jesus in all kinds of settings. They saw him do all kinds of things. They saw his poise when he was under pressure. They saw his compassion. They just saw every aspect of his life and every kind of circumstance that presented itself. And they began to link up the dots, connect the dots, and, and link up the ideas that if you want to live like Jesus, then you need to learn how to pray like Jesus. And of all of the things that they could have asked him to teach them, there was only one thing that is at least recorded to us in the Gospels. Luke chapter 11, verse 1 they asked Jesus to teach them how to pray. Living like Jesus in the world, as it is, requires a, pro a profound prayer life. I mean, the world as it is. world's not an easy place. Have you ever thought to yourself, maybe you thought, maybe even recently, that I could really use a win right now. I could really use a win right now. And when you, somebody says that, when somebody's thinking that, this is more than just a bad day. Everybody has a bad day, but a lot of times we think that maybe the next day, tomorrow, is going to be better. But when we get to the place where we're going, you know, it feels like losing, and I could really use a win right now, it's really about a string of bad days. It's about a line of losses, consecutive losses. It's about multiple setbacks. It's about persistent disappointment. It's unremitting bad news. It's that place in life or that time in life when there are just some things. It seems like you, know, you don't want to answer the phone. You don't want to go to the door. You don't even want to leave the house because it just doesn't feel like winning right now. I talk to a lot of people all over this city. I talk to people all over the United States uh, throughout the week. And a lot of the, the sense that I get in people's language, in the tone of their voice, in the things that they want to talk about, it just doesn't feel like winning. In fact, do you know what it does sound like? It sounds like exhaustion. Everyone just seems to be exhausted. And there's a good reason for that. It's, it's that it's exhausting trying to be stronger than you feel. It's exhausting trying to be stronger than you feel. It just does not feel like winning. I was on the phone recently with a friend in another city. Uh, they were kind of beside themselves because of some drama that was going on in their inner circle. And what, after you know, a few minutes of conversation, it became apparent that this person was dragging some unresolved things from the past into the present and then pushing them into the future. They were expending a lot of energy dealing with some things that had happened in the past, dragging it into the present, and then expending a lot of energy pressing it into the, the future. And that can be super, super exhausting. When you have this past-future focus, it can really take a sap a lot of energy out of you. And what that looks like is this. We focus, next slide please, we focus on what happened in the past that disturbs us, 
and what might happen in the future that could derail us. Have you been there recently? And again, it just doesn't feel like winning, does it? I'm often reminded of something that I learned from Dallas Willard. He wrote this years ago, but he wrote this. He says, you know, we truly live at the mercy of our ideas. You do. I mean, what you think about yourself, what you think about other people, what you think about the economy, what you think about your bank account, what you think about your spouse, your worldview, what you think about, about the people around you, your policy. I mean, all of it. you live at the mercy of your ideas. This is never more true than our ideas about God. Which brings us to the final thing that Jesus teaches about prayer. If it doesn't feel like winning, if you have ever wondered who is running the world, if you, if you wonder if there's rhyme or reason to anything that's going on in the world, or even more specifically, in particular, in your life, if you ever question whether or not it's going to get better, or is it going to be the same old, same old, if you wonder if it's ever going to stop feeling like losing, and that maybe you could just you know, feel a wind every once in a while, then Jesus teaches us to pray, for yours is the kingdom, and yours is the power, and yours is the glory forever. And the church says, Amen. Now before we go further, I, I think it's important that we deal with uh, a bit of an elephant in the room. You have probably noticed that we've been using the New American Standard Version uh, that was revised in 1995, that version of this prayer. And you will have noticed, if not already, that in some of the English versions, probably many that you are using, that that last part of the prayer, that last sentence, is not included in it. Now the reason for that is that some of the manuscripts have all of it, some of the manuscripts, the, the Greek manuscripts, out of which we, we translate that Greek into English, some of those manuscripts have all of it, some of them have part of it, and some of them don't have any of it at all. Some do, and some don't. And you'll also probably have noticed by now, if you went to Luke chapter 11 and seen the Our Father in Luke chapter 11, that this sentence is not at the end of that particular version of this prayer. Now, the bottom line is that this has been a part of the way that Christians have prayed this prayer for a long time, and it is incredibly theologically profound. I mean, you find this kind of language in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. Think about 1 Chronicles chapter 29. David is speaking to the people of Israel about the temple that is going to be built for God, and in it he prays these words, Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor for everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. And then over in the very last book of the New Testament of the Christian scriptures, the book we call Revelation in chapter 1 verse 6, John has this revelation of Jesus and he describes him to him, Jesus who loves us and has freed us from our sins by His blood and has made us to be a what? A kingdom. We're a part of God's kingdom and priests of priests to serve His God and Father. To Him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Now, these are uh, 
This last section, verse 13 of Matthew chapter 6, is a part of how I use this prayer and have used it all of my life as a model for my daily prayers. And I want to talk about why this particular part of Scripture, of this prayer as a model, is important to me. And I want to talk about it from two different angles, what it is not and what it is. Let's begin with what it's not. This is not a magic formula for when you find yourself down on your life. This is not a magic formula, just a magic words that you say when you find yourself down on your life. Uh, this is not positive mental attitude. It's not a formula from PMA that's, that says something like, you know, your altitude is determined by your attitude and, and, or something like that. Jesus is not teaching that when your life is not going the way that you want, that you pray to the great personal problem solver in the sky and that there are some magic words that you use and as soon as you say them, then all of a sudden you're going to be feeling great. That's not realistic. And you never find Jesus downplaying the, the degree or the severity or the profoundness of the pain that we feel because of things not going right, painful things, sad things, horrific things that are going wrong in life. Some issues in life are so disconcerting, they are so ground-shaking, that it just takes more than a quick fix. And yet, we do this all the time. Let me give you a couple of examples. You know, a lot of times what we do when there's an issue that comes into life, and we're kind of struggling with it from, you know, we, we find ourselves maybe complaining a little bit, and, and we catch ourselves short because, well, we shouldn't complain, we think to ourselves, or we say to ourselves, or to somebody that's standing around, we shouldn't complain because there's somebody in the world that has it worse than I do. That there's somebody in the world whose life is so bad that they can make me feel good about my bad life. I would suggest, friends, that that's not even a Christian way to think. The solution to the difficulties in life is not trying to find someone who has it worse than you or has it worse than me. Can you imagine this prayer? You know, uh, Father, uh, my life is going kind of rotten right now, and I see this cat over here driving this really nice car. Could you kind of steer him into, the, you know, into a, a, a mailbox so that I can feel better about my life? Nobody, nobody would do that. When, when the storms come, what we do is lash ourselves to God, not to somebody's bad situation. That's the quick fix. I can feel good just for the moment because somebody has it worse than me. Or number two, we only go to God earnestly and we only go to God honestly in a crisis, which means that I really don't want God for God. I'm not saying to God, I want you for you, but I want you to solve a problem for me. We only go to God when we need something of God. These kinds of fixes are not helpful and they're not realistic. Now, I'm not, I'm not going to crush showing up in prayer even when it's you know, not with the most noble of motivations. But Jesus is teaching us something else for every experience of life. What he is teaching us is this, that what we need when these things come into our life is our Father and not a formula or a quick fix. When we pray, 
For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. That is not a magic formula. That is not something that as soon as we say it, the pain is going to go away. What he is teaching us is that we are going to our Father, even in the worst moments of our life, and we are trusting him and lashing our life to him in the storm and not to a formula or to a quick fix. Think about how Asaph does this in Psalm 73. Psalm 7 this is one of my favorite psalms in the entire Bible. We'll start with about uh, verse 21. So Asaph is beginning to describe a particular period in his life when things are not going that great. And he says, when my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered. Well, I've been there and done that. And I was senseless, check, and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. Who doesn't know what he's talking about? But then he goes, yet, yet, I am always with you. You see what he's, he's done there? In verse 21, he's talking about all of the bad things that's going on in his life. And he's recognizing how those bad things have had an effect on him. I was senseless. I was ignorant. I actually became like a brute beast in your presence. I was embittered. I was down. It did not feel like winning. It felt like losing. Yet... A truth. I am always with you. I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. There's, there's, um, there's lots of pictures that we have on our phones where we have it's pictures of us as dads or granddads or moms and grandmothers and we're holding the right hand of our grandchildren or our children. It's, it's a beautiful picture. It is, it's a picture of tenderness and of intimacy. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward, you will take me into glory. You see what he's doing there? There's a truth in his mind that is not just in his mind, but has gotten all the way down into his heart. He realizes that what he's going through in life right now that feels like losing and not winning is going to be temporary. That at some point... God is going to take him into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I, des I, I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but here's the truth. God is the strength of my heart. God is the strength of my heart, and he's my portion forever. Now the question is, how did Asaph get there? Which brings us to what it is, what this verse 13 in Matthew chapter 6 is all about. One of the things that you see happening with all the great people of faith, male and female, in the Bible, is that they don't just accept a truth in their brain, but it's like, remember the old Coke machines where you'd put a quarter in and that quarter had to go, I mean, I'm talking about, you know, uh, Arturo was talking about vintage vintage uh, 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 video games. Here's, this is vintage Coke machines, right? You didn't tap it with a card, but you actually had to put a couple of coins into it, and if you could hear that coin going all the way down into the center of that Coke machine, then you could push a button and access what was on the inside. In, in a manner of speaking, that is what happens with biblical truth. Biblical truth does not stop at the brain, but it's got to travel all the way to the heart. Where the brain is, that's where we keep the facts. The heart is where those facts become the value and the decision-making pieces of how we live our life. 
And so it's not just a matter of intellectually being able to say, yes, God is my portion, or that God is my strength, or that He has me by my right hand, but it goes all the way, like that coin in the Coke machine, it goes all the way down from your brain into your heart so that it actually becomes a part of how you see the world. Biblical truth doesn't stop at the brain, but it travels to the heart. And that's why he's teaching us at the end of this prayer to say these words. Even when it's not a great day. Even when we're in the valley. Or even even when we're on the mountaintop. In all of these places, we pray this truth. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. And you do that multiple times during the day. And you say it over and over and over until it becomes a part of the way that you deal with every piece of life. That is a truth that it takes daily, praying daily to get down into your heart. You have to intentionally, you have to deliberately insert this truth into your brain and into your heart until it becomes second nature. It's like if you go to CrossFit. First couple of days you go to CrossFit, it really hurts and it's not, you know, very, very, um, you know, it's kind of awkward. It's not very smooth. It's not very, I mean, you just don't feel very comfortable in doing these exercises. But the more that you do it, the more that you do it, the more that you do it, it becomes muscle memory. And the more that you do it, it becomes more second nature. And it becomes just, it becomes easier and easier to do. And that's why this has to be prayed on a daily, multiple times during the day, on a daily basis, to get this truth that everything belongs to God. That it is His kingdom, it is His glory, and it is His power. It is a worldview for both the highs and the lows of life. It is the foundation for faith in the moments of groaning, the moments of sighing when it feels like you're losing and not winning. And even though we're talking about losing and not winning, it's even for those moments when you're not losing and it feels like you're winning. You need to be reminded that it's God's kingdom, God's power, and it's God's glory. Now think about how that, this sentence right here answers the most basic human questions. Those questions are these. Man, who's in charge? Whose kingdom is it? And then not only who's in charge, but who really has the power? Who can get something done? Who really has power to affect change in the world, affect change in my family, affect change in my own life? And then the third question is, who gets the credit? Who gets the glory? Who is it that gets, that gets, gets the recognition and the acclaim and the achievement? Let's think about whose kingdom. Whose will is it that's ultimately being done in life? It's a reminder that the world doesn't belong to Republicans or Democrats or Libertarians or Communists or Socialites or Bullies or Anarchists or Activists or Liberals or Conservatives or Majorities, Minorities, Rich, Educated, Beautiful or Atheists. The world belongs to God. It is His kingdom. And that is a truth that we go into every moment, every second of this life, knowing as a fact of life each day. It's what, it's, it's what the prophet Habakkuk says in Isaiah, says in Isaiah chapter 11, that there is a day that is coming when the earth is going to be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Father, the way that the waters cover the seas. It's also about who has the power. Ultimately, God is the one who, is, who has all power. It is, it is God that is going to effectively bring change into your life. And then this last question, who gets the glory? 
you know, last week, and not to undo anything that I said last week, I said that your biggest problem is not you. It's Satan. But I do want to clarify that you may not be your worst enemy, but you're a close second. I mean, I think about my own life. Obviously, there is Satan that works against my life that, and your life dedicated to living in God's kingdom, knowing that I'm made in His image, that I am an image bearer everywhere I go of, of God, that, that I'm, I'm, I'm loved. It's, it's, it's God's world. And, 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 but my biggest my problem when I contribute to it is, is when I become full of Mark. You ever been there? I mean, sometimes my problem is that I'm Markish. I'm Markish, and I need to be Markless. You know, Ben needs to be less Benish and more Ben-less. Uh, Prentice needs to be less Prentice-ish. Now, that's difficult to say. And more prentice-less. I mean, you get the idea, right? You, you know, one of the things that happens is that we bebop through this life and we think that everything is great and everything is going good and that we're winning, 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 and then all of a sudden we're losing, and that's when we turn to God. And, one, and, and that is a sign that our eyes are more on us than they are on God. And that it is not just a habit, it is a discipline that develops a habit. When we pray this every day, that yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Amen means so be it. That this is the truth that I am attaching myself to. That I want to be at the very core of who I am. That regardless of whether I'm not on a mountaintop or in a valley below, what I know is that God's got this. That God has got this. We say this all the time, and sometimes it's just a cliche, but let me tell you that this is a biblical truth. Who's got the power? It's God. Who has got the, 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 the kingdom? It's God. Who has got the power? It's God. Who, who gets the acclaim? Who gets the glory? It's God. And God is the one that loves you, and God is the one who has His eyes on you, as a father has His eyes on a child. And it doesn't matter what, you have, what you're going through, what you will go through, what you have gone through. God has got this. And that changes the way that we walk in this life. And it does change the way that we approach these problems. Do they become less painful? No. Do they become less profoundly painful? No. But they do become less disconcerting. Because we know that at the end of time, and in my present time, as He has shown in all of my past times, that God, it's His kingdom, and it's His power, and it's His glory forever. Amen? Let's pray. Father, You are so great to us. You are precious. You are precious to us. And You have given us these truths, Father, not just to know how how the world is supposed to operate, but how it does operate, especially when we allow you to be who you reveal yourself to be, not only the God who is in heaven, but the God who created everything, heaven and earth, everything in between. 
And in the end, you have us in the palm of your hand. And there is no place that we go in this world that your eyes are not on us. There is no place that we go, no one that we are with. There's no situation or occasion or circumstance that we meet in this life where you are not in control. Father, we are blessed. We are blessed every step we take. We are blessed to go with you and you with us. Thank you, Father, for this great truth that changes our worldview, our eyes, our vision of everything we encounter, every person we see. Thank you, Father, for teaching us how to pray to you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing, everybody.